0: This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Ross on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome in to another Seattle Sports at Night. Happy Monday, Jake.
2: Happy Monday to you, Stacy. Let's
1: go. It's so hot today, but I am oh glad gosh. to report. Good news for me. I did not get sunburnt out at Seahawks training camp. A really? lot, a lot. But I do have some takeaways. Okay. We'll go over those takeaways at 7.15. We, we both have them. I think that mine uh, are very insightful, kind of if you're looking from that, like a uh, football expert perspective. And then Jake also has some takeaways.
2: That's right. And, Stacy, I will say that, you know, very, very few times, if ever, have you embarrassed me out at Seahawks practice. And then Stop. watching you at 90-degree weather out there, it was hot. However, you were, like, trying to hide behind shade <laughs> that wasn't there. You're putting your, you know, your, uh, what do you call it? Notebook. Your, your notebook over your head. <laughs> what do you
1: call that thing? Oh, my Or, like, gosh. Ariel in the Little Mermaid. <laughs> but paper binder.
2: You were struggling out there. No, the second one. The
1: first one, I put a notebook over my head to cover the sun and uh, prevent sun damage. Of course. And then the the second one was mostly just joking around, but it was this huge (laughs) thing that the players will use, like a mat, like wide receivers will catch balls and then they fall onto it. Yes. And I kept thinking to myself, Stacy, this is only funny until a player comes over here and leaps onto this mat and you die. But it would have been a cool way to go. You know what I mean? It would have been very on brand.
2: Sure. Definitely. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) All right. Uh, We're going to start our timeline with a story of your own, Jake. Let's get into it with today's timeline. Starts off with the mock game on Saturday. Jake Heaps. Your boy Jake Heaps was on the call with Dave Wyman, Jessamine McIntyre doing sideline reporting. Uh, it was a good game for, I think, a lot of players right on that bubble, hoping to do enough to make a spot. No one cemented a role, but a guy like Jazz Ferguson, who had, uh, I think, two touchdowns. Yes. At least one touchdown and one big catch, including a last-minute touchdown to win the game for the green team, made up primarily of backups, led by Geno Smith. What did you see from your viewpoint? Because I was on the sidelines behind a lot of very tall players. So what did it look like, Jake, from above?
2: Well, from above, I think overall the environment at Popkini Stadium was incredible. Uh, I I thought it was really cool. It's a great venue. It's one of the best venues in in high school football here in the state of Washington. And and everything is so close. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for the fans and for the players, you don't really get that experience a whole lot, even if you're at the BMAC. They're usually the, the players and everything is happening pretty removed from you. And, and there at Popkini, you are right on top of the action. So, first and foremost, I thought the environment was great. I hope they continue to do it again and again. Uh, and I would love to see that tradition uh, now continue. Uh, and the other side of it, from a player standpoint, is I, I would think that that game in particular is one that. You're looking for the young guys to really make a statement. And you had some guys flash, like Jazz Ferguson there at the end, uh, but no one that really stood out, that really took over the game. Mm -hmm. And so this Thursday night is your first opportunity to really see preseason action from these guys and see who's going to make those big plays, who's going to step up. And overall, I would say the offense did a tremendous job on Saturday, particularly the first group, uh, like they should. And I, I, I saw I really liked what I saw from Brian Schottenheimer and Russell Wilson and, and what this offense ultimately can be.
1: Yeah, there, there was a, a few like big moments. Again, they're, the veterans are just kind of out there kind of running through their plays. They maybe aren't going like 120%, but a big leaping catch from David Moore that was pretty impressive, a nice run from Chris Carson. Yes. Again, they aren't trying to overexert themselves out there. Um, one of the guys that I had an eye on that I think you and I will both be watching in the preseason opener is running back Travis Holmes. Yes, Um, we have an interview with him coming up at 8 a.m. But certainly someone that uh, we were watching at the mock game and we'll be watching Thursday. The Seahawks returned to practice today, and there were a lot of injury updates, kind of as is to be expected, right? They have three days before a game, and so you've got some guys that either are maybe nursing something from the week of practice prior or the mock game, mm-hmm. uh, and are trying to just kind of get right before Thursday. So just a very quick rundown. Uh, the most serious, if it's that serious, is uh, to tight end Ed Dixon, who the team is debating whether or not he's gonna have surgery. I believe it's a knee injury. If he does have that surgery, Pete Carroll estimated he would be out maybe four to five weeks, six weeks at the most. So um, it's he still considered it a minor thing. It's, if there's good news, it's that that's your most severe thing. Yes. But, uh, and it's to some uh, position group where you have recently added some depth. Uh, Bobby Wagner had what Pete Carroll called a lower body procedure. It's very secretive. Yes. Um, and he will not play Thursday, but he didn't rule Wagner out for the preseason at all. So this shouldn't sideline him for very long. He presumably had that done Sunday because he played Saturday.
2: This is one of those types of procedures that a player gets done just yeah. to kind of rejuvenate himself uh, in a particular area. And for him, it was his knees. So mm-hmm. this is not a, a a procedure that's uncommon in the NFL. It's just to make sure that Bobby's as healthy as he can be rolling into week one. And uh, for Ed Dixon, I think this is very significant for him personally if, if this turns out to be something where he has to have surgery and he's going to be out four to five weeks you can count on Ed Dixon not being a part of this roster I mm-hmm. can guarantee you that uh, there's just too much talent too much depth right now uh, between Nick Vanette, Will Disley, Jacob Hollister I, I believe that this is just too competitive a group for a guy like Ed Dixon to, to unfortunately sit out because he's had a really nice preseason up to this point so it'll be fascinating to see how that all unfolds And then I I think for fans, it was a little disappointing not to have D.K. Metcalf out there, J.D. McKissick, uh, Cody Barton was another one. Mm. So there were a couple key guys that overall weren't there practicing on Saturday and even bled into Monday. Uh, But all things considered, most of it is just to to make sure that these guys are as healthy as possible. They're not serious injuries. Uh, had a chance to talk to D.K. after practice. He feels ready to roll. He's excited for Thursday night, so I, I believe that they're taking care of mm-hmm. the players more than anything else. No,
1: totally agree. A lot of this sounded precautionary, and Pete Carroll said that D.K. Metcalf absolutely has a chance to go on Thursday, and he could have played today, were it something like a game, but they decided to hold him out just an extra day. He injured, uh, had an oblique strain on the last play of practice Friday, so again, nothing serious there. Cody Barton has a groin injury, a groin strain. Uh, it sounds 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 like he might not go Thursday, but again, if this was a regular season and these were key players who needed to be out there, I don't know that they would be held out. All of this is, they're guys that are rookies, they're transitioning to a pro league for the first time ever. The team's trying to be very safe. This has kind of been their approach all offseason and preseason. Um, The Mariners fell to the Astros Sunday. Houston completed a three-game sweep of Seattle the m's faced a combined no hitter which is their second of the Ouch. season the second and on sunday justin verlander struck out 10 amazing game from him though and if you're going to be swept by any team it might as well be the astros the mariners have an off day today they'll <laughs> you, they'll, they'll use an opener to start the first of two games against the padres if you're tomorrow. just going to
2: suck for any team i'm sorry the astros but are yes. going to be the one it's kind to of like saying against.
1: okay well if my boyfriend's going to break up with me for anyone at least she's like a neurosurgeon who's all... Also a supermodel, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, no, it's I like, all you. right, well, Trust look, you're I beating the you. teams you should be beating, and you are maybe uh, not performing well against the Astros. It was certainly, you know, True. a great series for the Astros, but the Astros are one of the. Most unstoppable-looking teams right now. Right,
2: they're the favorite to win the World Series. Right, I mean, you, you would expect that that huge talent differential, and and also for it to bleed in the outcomes of win and losses. And so this isn't any surprise by any means. It's always hard to watch for sure. But again, this goes back to the plan of you hope that Jerry Depoto and the Mariners organization know what they're doing. They understand what's what's in play, and that they're setting themselves up. And I think one Jerry Depoto quote that has come out over the last couple weeks is him saying that I think uh, that I can say confidently that we have restructured and rebuilt our farm mm-hmm. system and that it's better, far better than what it has Certainly been in the past. And and so I do agree with him on that and hopefully that's phase one of this rebuild and that they continue to build on that. And eventually you look at the Houston Astros and you hope that the Seattle Mariners are going to be the same thing that they're going to have that same result here down the line. And so that's all you can do as Mariners fans is, is have hope and try and see which, which guys on this current Mariner roster are going to be around, uh, during this rebuild that eventually are going to be around for uh, them to be competitive
1: so we'll see you know we've got so much stuff from training camp to get into tonight that we we won't actually talk about this but if you are interested in reading more about that rebuild Jerry DePoto's quotes on it and kind of comparing it to the Astros rebuild there's a great article on 710 sports by Brent Stecker who just wrote about uh, essentially like whether or not Jerry Depoto's blueprint is working. Um, I actually learned a lot from it. I think it's really fascinating. Check that out on 710sports.com. Final story of the timeline. The Seahawks made a roster move, Jake. They added a pair of tight ends Saturday just before the mock game, signing undrafted rookie free agent Jackson Harris. So he was actually a trial player for Seattle back during their rookie camp in May. Yep. They also added Wes Saxton. So they uh, they waived. It was literally kind of a tight end swap. They waved uh, Tyrone Swoops, who had been in a boot for a couple days. I'm unsure of his injury, but I'm assuming it was ankle or foot. Uh, and then Justin Johnson, undrafted rookie, who very unfortunately suffered an Achilles injury in practice last week. Um, you were roommates. I don't know how impactful these two players are going to be or whether or not they're going to be on this roster, but I just think it's interesting that you were roommates with one of them.
2: Yeah, uh, roommates with Wes Saxon, my rookie year with the New York Jets. Uh, him and I spent our rookie year together with, with That's the Jets. Cool and uh, Yeah, pretty cool. So... Uh, fun to see him around still competing still have an opportunity to to showcase his talents and uh, he, both of those guys i think are are good uh, additions to the roster i remember back in 2016 when i was playing this is around the time that you have guys getting injured and it starts to affect everybody around you. I remember as a quarterback, I felt very comfortable with the guys that I was yeah. throwing to receivers, tight ends, running backs, and guys started getting injured. Uh, and the guys that they replaced them with weren't very good. So by the time we were heading into game one of the preseason and, and all that, it wasn't, it wasn't ideal at all. But I believe that uh, a guy like Paxton Lynch and Geno Smith, they'll have good good tight ends and Jackson yeah. Harris and Wes Saxton to be able to get the job done. And and you uh, know it'll, it'll be interesting to see how those two guys can compete.
1: Up next, Jake and I stood in 90-degree weather today, 9-0, so that you could have some amazing training camp takeaways. So stay tuned because those are coming your way next on Seattle Sports at Night.
0: Live from the Alaska Airlines Studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Seahawks insider Stacy Rost here with Jake Heaps. Jake and I were outside with many others today at Seahawks training camp, kicking off at 11 a.m. today, an hour later than usual. And uh, certainly felt the heat, but the players were going all out. So that was good to see. Uh, One player that stood out to me in particular, Jake, was Trey Flowers. And I think this is probably one of the better things you can hear for a team whose secondary is for the first time in I don't even know how long since Pete Carroll got here is seen, at least from the outside, as a weakness, as a huge question mark, and locally is seen as just kind of a unit of a lot of potential that is maybe kind of unproven to this point. Yeah. With the exception of a guy like Bradley McDougald, who is certainly a proven starter. Um, So... So today, I was kind of keeping an eye on some of them today, and Trey Flowers, again, displaying a lot of what you were seeing, especially in a late-season Trey Flowers, which is aggressive, attacking the ball, had two pass breakups of pretty legit throws from Russell Wilson, the latter targeting uh, Tyler Lockett for uh, what would have been a touchdown, and it was very, very nearly a pick by Trey Flowers um, didn't quite get a hold on the ball, but in a game situation certainly would have saved a touchdown. And I think it's, again, one of those things where I you're just waiting to see him take the next step, and I'm not sure exactly what he has to do to get there. I'm sure he knows and he's working on it, but it's at least good to see that he's picking back up where he left off. It doesn't seem like he's taken a step backwards.
2: Definitely not. And And he's been around the ball, like you said, and, and for, for a guy who's continued to develop, it's just being in the right place at the right time and mm-hmm. then trusting your instincts to make the play. So you're seeing a guy who is definitely right around the ball. He's making good decisions, and eventually that talent's going to take over. So very positive. One funny thing that I saw uh, today, Stacy, was uh, for Trey Flowers is uh, I think it was Will Disley caught the ball in the flat. He was going upfield, and, and Trey is known for being able to punch the ball out mm-hmm. and Pete Carroll in the past getting mad at him for trying to do so in practice because you went, what you end up doing is you end up hurting your own teammates. Right. Right. So he, he faked, you know, they tell you to have imagination is what Pete Carroll tells his defensive guys in terms of fitting tackles and all those things. And Hey, we'll go back to the watch the tape and we'll, we'll see it. So he faked to punch the ball out of Will Disley's hand. Will Disley goes up to turn up the sideline. And then Trey flowers proceeds to do like a boxing Rocky impersonation of of, uh, you know, giving a bunch of quick jabs in the air and all that. So I thought that was pretty funny having fun out there. Um, so love to see that from uh, Trey Flowers. One of the things that uh, has really stood out to me uh, today was just con- the continuation of Russell Wilson having his best off season yet as a pro. Mm-hmm. Being a guy who is now the highest paid player in the NFL and it has, hasn't phased him one bit in terms of his work ethic. And if anything, it has just continued to motivate him to be that much better and you're you're seeing a guy who has continuously gotten better year in and year out and you're about to see him uh, embark on a really fun stage in his career and and I I can't wait uh, for it to start happening but he's just got so much command out there he's he trusts what he is seeing right now Uh, he trusts uh, this offense and Brian Schottenheimer and the relationship that they have and we'll dive into that later on actually in this next segment coming up but Uh, he is he's in great command. And I I just love seeing it uh, out there every single day. And and he had a couple amazing throws out there in practice.
1: Is there anyone in particular you feel like he's doing a great job of connecting with outside of Tyler Lockett? Because that connection is very obvious. And it's not just kind of like us saying it when you're out there. It it just feels like every day there's just like at least one dime or there's at least one great pass to lock it. Yeah. They have great chemistry. But is there anyone else you're noticing this is a very intentional effort by Wilson to build up chemistry with this receiver?
2: Honestly, it's been everybody. Stacey, mm-hmm. it's it's not just, you know, going, uh, saying, oh, you know, taking the cop out on right. this and going, oh, he's he's got a relationship with everybody. Honestly, I've been very surprised. DK Metcalf has been the one that you could say head and shoulders above that he has worked very hard to establish that relationship because of the potential of what Metcalf can be for him this year and in the future. Um, He's worked very hard that relationship. DK has been very receptive. They've bonded very quickly. But he has worked extremely hard with everybody on that roster, even the guys on the roster bubble that may or may not make this roster. So it has paid off dividends. Uh, for Russell, for the Seahawks offense, and for these, for everybody on a skill position, everybody is coming through, and he is trusting everybody to be in the right place at the right time, and that is what you would love to see from your franchise quarterback. That's what ha- that's the steps that you have to take in order to be vaulted into mm-hmm. that uh, top one, top two discussion in the NFL.
1: And you and I talked about a few of the injuries the Seahawks are facing opening the hour, and I think if there's some good news to come from that, it's that a few players did make a return. So uh, one of them was J.D. McKissick, running back J.D. McKissick, who was dealing with a mild foot sprain, did not play Saturday. He was playing today, both him and Petty getting involved in the receiving game as well, uh, catching some passes from Wilson. I thought that was Great news. Again, you and I are going to talk about what Brian Schottenheimer had to tell Brock and Salk this morning in our next segment, some interesting things that stood out to us. And I think one of the interesting things that we'll get into is getting Chris Carson involved in the passing game more. And I think that with that comes getting the rest of the running backs involved in that passing game. Also, good injury news, it actually came after practice, which is that Delano Hill Lano Hill, taken off the pup list after passing his physical. He was dealing with a hip fracture that, very unfortunately for him, he suffered so late in the season that it kind of carried over into the preseason.
2: Yeah, I, and, and that's the type of stuff with Leno Hill that you're talking about is, look, bro, you're getting to the point where this competition is now gone so it's far getting, along yeah. that you're if you don't ju- if you don't jump in right now you might get left behind. I don't care what happened last year, where you where you finished the season and ultimately that was only for two games where he really started pushing for the starting role. So although you really like what you've seen from Leno Hill and his progression, uh you, you, your best ability is your availability. And if and so that was really positive to see him out there. He wasn't participating in 11 on 11 drills, but the fact that he was Got his helmet on. He's he's you know running around out there. That was huge, and and hopefully he can get himself into this mix very quickly. Um, and then like you pointed out uh, with with some of the other injuries, these are guys at this point in time that they have to be healthy enough for preseason. Like mm-hmm. that's
1: Rashim Green is one of them too. He yes. was granted. I would expect him to play Thursday. He was given he kind of a to. rest day for a lingering. It sounds like just a nagging elbow injury that he's had, and they maybe just don't want to push it. Maybe they want to give him a break. It's only his second year. So, yes, he's someone I would expect to play Thursday that did not practice today, but he comes to mind immediately when you talk about players that this team needs to see something from sooner rather than later. Whether or not it's their fault and whether or not it would happen if they went to a team that had a lot of depth and they could have some more time to develop, this team needs contributions from Rasheem Green. It needs contributions from its young secondary. Correct.
2: and. It's hard to tell at this point in time. The Seahawks haven't gone, they haven't padded up very often in this training camp so Mm -hmm. far. And that's obviously to make an effort to take care of the players. But we're going to find a lot out about this defensive line in these preseason games, and particularly Rasheem Green. And he's a guy that I want to see out there, not just tearing it up versus the twos and threes like we saw last year. But what can he do versus the ones? And that is the big step that I want to see is him not be passive, not be thinking, but being aggressive out there. And that's one part of this. The Seahawks are counting on him to step up. And so far, uh, his presence has not been felt in this training camp, which has been a disappointment to me this far, Stacey, uh, if I'm going to be honest. And so uh, he's going to have plenty of opportunities to show that he can be an impactful player for the Seahawks defensive line, and and he's got to step up in a hurry.
1: You know, I'm kind of interested to see on that defensive line, and I'm getting a little off uh, people that kind of stood out in training camp today. Although they did have some good plays, it's so hard to gauge what a defensive end or pass rusher can really do because obviously you can't sack the quarterback, most especially not your 30-odd million franchise quarterback. The minute you sack that quarterback, they're going to be like, hey, you can leave practice right now. But... Uh, I think it's been good to see what Cassius Marsh and uh, Quentin Jefferson have been able to do. So I'm really curious. I know that Jefferson played last year, obviously. um, But they've looked speedy, fast off the edge at times, and they're who the Seahawks have right now. Mm -hmm. And it's just been so hard to gauge how effective they're going to be, which I think is where a lot of these question marks come from, a lot of doubt comes from. I'm actually interested to see what they look like. In the preseason. I, I'm sure they won't play a lot of snaps. I mean, you want to build up that chemistry and, and get them some time in there, but they're also the only starters that you have there right now. Right. So, But I'm still curious to see it because it feels like from what you see in camp, they look fast You know, going around the edge. They right. look good, but it's just... How do you gauge how good your defensive line is? How do you gauge how good your biggest problem is when they can't do anything in camp? Right.
2: And, Stacey, there's been a lot of question about this defensive end group and and the ability to get to the passer. The one thing that I will say, however, that I've been able to walk away from so far in my takeaways is that the interior of this defensive line is in better shape than than we may think. Hmm. Um, And even with the loss of Jaron Reed right now, uh, you, you saw out in the in the scrimmage on Saturday that Puna Ford was handling his own, that Al Woods was a major plugger in the middle, and it was a big body that was tough to move. Um, you've you got some guys, Jamie Meter, you've got some guys in the interior that you could feel very positive about that they may have solved some of their run, run defensive issues on the front seven, um, and that's a huge win compared to what they were last year. Yeah, it, let's, let's at least improve in some aspect. If we're not going to be great in the past yeah. in pass rush, then let's definitely be Stop good the at stopping the run. And I think that that's something that these guys will definitely be able to hang their hat
1: on. Let's get to the offensive side of the ball. What could Seahawks fans see in year two under Brian Schottenheimer? Seattle's offensive coordinator sat down with Brock Huard and Mike Salk this morning. Me and Jake have got your takeaways coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night.
0: You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Ross.
1: Powered through the Alaska
0: Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Seox Insider Stacy Ross here with Jake Heaps. Earlier this morning, Seahawks Offensive Coordinator Brian Schottenheimer sat down with our very own Brock Heward and Mike Salk, and uh, they got to some really important stuff. I want you to know that. They did talk about important things, but maybe the most important thing they talked about um, was Brian Schottenheimer's choice of headgear. Yeah. It, for- it- no, no, no.
2: The reason why this is so important. <laughs> it's okay? important. It's really important because Stacy had a big takeaway yes. uh, on Brock and Salk while we were doing the show. I did. My, it, yes. yes. And that was very important to her is to find out why Brian Schottenheimer would wear a visor every single day.
1: Every day. And I want you guys to know it's not one visor. It sounds like I'm being mean. It's It does. But it's not me knocking his fashion choice. I don't like... People wearing visors because it gives me a level of anxiety that I can't always explain. I get anxiety from a lot of things. Um, water inching too close to a piece of paper on the table. Uh, everything. Uh, fingerprints on a computer. And and Brian Schottenheimer wearing a visor is one of them because it's like I don't want to know that you have to choose between your head being burnt or, or sweating under a hat. But this is what Schottenheimer Told Brock and Salk about why he always wears a visor.
3: Too late. Maybe I should try. Stacy's going to be disappointed. You're not wearing the visor today. She thinks you're kind of a that's, visor that's guy. That's only guy. for practice. Oh, really? Now, what's yeah. the what's the advantage of the visor? So that's a great point. One of the coaches asked me that the other day. That goes back, I think, to Steve Spurrier right? of all people. He's a big visor guy. Well, yeah, he, and he used to throw it. And my job as a backup quarterback, since I wasn't on the field playing, <laughs> was I was re- this is a true story. I believe. I you. was responsible for when he threw his visor. I was the guy that had to go pick it up. The more and, you can do. Like, I mean, the first time I didn't do it, he looked at me like, I mean, what are you doing? My visor's over there. Go get it. I'm like, oh, sorry, Coach. But, I mean, from that point on, I guess, you know, it, since it was good enough for him, and I had to pick it up about 12, 15 times sure. a game because if we made four yards, he threw it down. Um, and uh, that's kind of where it started.
0: All that time you spent th- working on your spirals and everything you were going to do to be a great quarterback, you get out there and what do you have to do? Pick up Steve Spurrier's visor.
3: Yeah, m- multiple out. times. <laughs> yeah, what a li- what a great college experience. What, what do you world. do? It's a great way to meet girls, right? Yeah. Hey, what do you do? I pick up Coach Spurrier's visor on game day. Okay, cool.
1: I mean, I got an answer. <laughs>
2: Wasn't the answer that you wanted, though?
1: Uh, there is no answer. <laughs> There's no true answer. that's was kind of a cool story. At least I actually was not expecting that. I thought it would be like, "I like visors." What's, yeah? <laughs> What's your issue? Also, who is Stacy? I don't know her. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's pretty funny. It's uh, it's but, funny how yeah. Salk just threw that out nonchalantly. Like, right? Oh yes, he's, Stacey, he's supposed to Stacy, and he's Stacey. like,
1: "Right, yeah. yes, yeah. of course, Stacy, who I know."
2: Yes, that's awesome. I, I, one of the other things outside the visor that was very important, the, other, important. the other things that I heard, uh, there were really three things that I walked away from that interview with Brian Schottenheimer and I loved it, uh, was one, everybody's talking about the evolution or what that is going to look like for year two in this offense, and and I think for the majority of it is Brian Schottenheimer and Russell Wilson's relationship, and Brian Schottenheimer talked about that.
3: He's seen things so much better right now, um, you know, from a defensive understanding, knowing knowing what we're doing, like knowing the system. Going into year two, I can't tell you how powerful it was to sit and watch cutups with him this this off season. Like last year it was just okay. These are plays. Hey, here's what this is called. Okay, yeah, you remember this, but but now I haven't been able to go through and see see it and sit down and talk through things. Just he's able to process things so much better.
2: And with that process, it's really important, as he's talking about, there's a huge difference, Stacy, in a year where you're trying to learn a new offense and basically what an offensive coordinator is doing yeah. that's never been there before is they're bringing in cut-ups and diagrams and trying to show you, hey, here's the new plays that we're going to run. Here's how you read them, and here's examples of them working. So basically what you're doing as an offensive coordinator is you're convincing your quarterback, you are convincing your players that these plays are going to work. Examples of, hey, here's how we called them. Here's the right right way we were able to execute them. And so now you're trying to convince your offense, your quarterback, to trust what you're saying, what you're doing. That's what they did last year. Now that you've had a year to uh, gain confidence in that system, gain confidence in the way that each other thinks, and now you're able to review some of those plays and actually watch yourself is a huge, huge difference. And so I think that's part, that's been part of this evolution and growth between Russell Wilson having more command of this offense. And now Brian Schottenheimer talks even further about what that means for Russell and Shoddy having more trust in each other.
3: And now even at the line of scrimmage, we're giving him so much more um, freedom because I know him better. Like, that's part of the deal. Like, you know, I didn't know him that well last year, and you get going, and then now I know, okay, he understands, we understand each other better. So um, he's just, he's really, the word you used is correct. He's got such great command of what we're doing offensively.
2: And the reason why he's able to have such great command, Stacy, is, again, he's been able to have that dialogue with Brian Schottenheimer and Russell. They they have been talking to each other nonstop whether it's whether it's the off season whether it's uh, they're in the building together you know football outside of football they have a great relationship and that part of it's huge and what it's translating into is Russell having great success in command on the field to not just execute the plays but to be able to have confidence in audibling out of bad ones and I think that's huge uh, for Seahawks fans to really realize where this offense is going uh, moving forward.
1: Jake, I have a question. Yes. Okay, don't be mad at me if this is a spoiler alert for another one that you had, okay? Okay, yes. Because you and I were talking about this off the air. <laughs> okay, so you and I were talking about a critique uh, that the offense got in general about, well, you saw what happened when they opened up the field in the first two games. Mm-hmm. So, So when you said that to me earlier, uh, this wasn't like my planned reaction. It's just a question that came to me now. When you said that earlier, I thought, well, yeah, I mean, they didn't have DJ Fluker, and they had offensive weapons they weren't even using. Mm-hmm. But is part of the reason that that's not really a fair critique that Brian Schottenheimer and Russell Wilson just didn't have a, a fragment of the relationship they have now.
2: Well, Stacey, it's interesting that you bring that up. Oh my let's gosh, uh hurts. Let's let's listen to this cut of Brian Schottenheimer <laughs> talking about what it's going to take for this offense to really go to the next level and how this offense is built to head into every game
3: we're built this year to where we can play however we need to play this year um, but again going up against the defense every day they're creating all kinds of problems for us it's been great you know we have such competitive practices out here it's been great to watch but whatever we're tasked with doing this year i feel great that we'll be able to do that
2: we are built to win however we need to That is the difference. So people talk about, oh, Russell and this offense can't pass because look at the first two weeks. No, 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 no. That was just a bad experiment gone wrong. And Brian Schottenheimer, in those first two weeks, he was trying to get his feet wet underneath him. And also, he did not go to the strengths of his team at that moment in time. You didn't have Doug Baldwin. You were going against two of the best pass rushing units in the NFL, in the Chicago Bears and Denver Broncos, versus – an offensive line you were targeting
1: a brand new receiver too that you hadn't really worked with that much brand
2: brandon marshall yeah absolutely you just did not have the pieces and you were not sound as an offense to be able to go in that direction yet and they went with they got back to the philosophy of running the football and fitting to this team's strengths what i it's music to my hear my ears to hear shoddy say we are going to play Uh, however style we need to to win uh, going into every week, and it can change. That's what this team needs to be, adaptable. They need to be adaptable every single week, and it's great to hear that Schottenheimer believes that he has the quarterback and he has the pieces all the way across the board to be able to do that. And last year, clearly he didn't feel that way.
1: How far off do you think they are from successfully adapting? Because they didn't necessarily change – who they were in their game against Carolina, which everyone references a million and five times when they talk about this team adapting versus not adapting. And not adapting would obviously be their wild card loss against Dallas when they just felt steadfast. They weren't moving. They just sunk their feet in, and this is who we are and how we're going to play. Right. Granted, the shades of gray, right? Like there were some issues on defense. But that being said, how I feel like sometimes when the conversation happens, and I ask myself this question all the time and I wonder it how much do they really need to adapt? Like what degree do they need to change things to actually yeah. be really successful and still the, the type of offense that P. Carroll has to run? Is it that far off or is it like how For, much from, is Brian Schottenheimer going to adapt? Like yeah. what's, you know what I mean? Like yes, I'm just, I'm what, not convinced from, he's going to really change it. Up. From
2: what I've seen so far, Stacy, they have the makings to be able to, uh, be a very adaptable offense they are very multiple and, and shoddy has talked about that over the offseason is we want to be multiple we want to attack out at of multiple personnels we yeah. want to use multiple formations and that is a, a variety of ways to present to a defense and be aggressive and so that's what I love to hear and I think that's where the evolution is going to take place and again once this offense really truly develops chemistry and they're able to take off and this Russell Wilson and these offensive skill players, if they're able to transition from what they've done into practice, into preseason and preseason, into the season, I believe that this is going to be one of the more explosive, more dangerous offenses heading into the NFL. And, yes, they're going to do it in a way that's different from everybody else, but I believe the passing game is not going to be far behind everyone else like it was last year. I think this is going to be a different look. They're still going to have their style, their way of doing things, but I definitely think that there's going to be progress moving forward.
1: Coming up next, we've got four football questions for Jay Keeps, including who who he'll be watching on Thursday's preseason game. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night.
0: This is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night.
1: Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Seahawks Insider Stacey Ross here with the quarterback Jay Keeps. Four Down Territory. That's when yours truly. Throws four questions Jake's way. You got to convert before halftime. See, it's before the 8 o'clock hour. Do you get it? I get it. Okay, good. I know you've done this <laughs> a million times, but I'm just making sure the joke still stands.
2: It does still stand.
1: Good. Let's get to question number one.
2: Number one.
1: Jake, of all the Seahawks injury updates today, which is most positive and which is most concerning?
2: I would say the one that's most positive is very clearly uh, Leno Hill. Leno <laughs> Hill coming back. Uh, entering himself back into the safety uh, conversation and competition for him. This is very important. You've got to get yourself back because you're having guys like Marquise player, Marquise Blair, making plays. Uh, you have Tedrick Thompson who has ha- been having really good practices and being able to put those in uh, Deshaun shed coming back and playing really well. And, and, And Luani has also stepped up also at that safety position. So you're getting to a point where you're almost, if you continue to get injured, you're getting yourself left behind and almost forgotten. And so uh, for him to get back out there uh, is huge. And I hope to see him making plays and make that conversation interesting uh, in terms of the safety, safety competition moving forward so that's a guy that they need to have contributing to this team and to me that was the most positive injury update was Lane O'Hill now the most concerning to me is Rasheem Green Rasheem Green by far to me is the most uh, concerning because this is a guy that you are relying heavily to be a five technique to be a guy who can get after the passer be an overall uh, uh, strength to your defensive line and so far I haven't really heard a whole lot of positives about him. I haven't really heard much of anything about him other than the fact the last couple days he's been nicked up with a lingering elbow injury and whenever you have your head coach saying oh it's an old injury he's got little nicks and bruises and things like that trust me that is not a good thing that you want said about you and you're a second year player a guy who's young who's trying to find his way in this league you got to step up you got to find a way to get yourself past those injuries and get contributing to this defensive line that desperately needs you to step up
1: well said jake question number two
2: number Number two. two
1: Uh, which player are you watching most closely during Thursday's preseason opener? I don't know why I had the emphasis there, but you have to choose one. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. You can only choose one.
2: Uh, let's see. If I can only choose only one. Only one. And you can
1: switch it up each week, right? You don't have to stick to True. it. True.
2: Yeah, of course. It's, it's
1: not like you have to eat pizza for the rest of your life, which is uh, fine. cool. Like, I, I would not cool. be bad at that. But you get uh, to switch it up next week. Okay. But just for Thursday.
2: DK Metcalf. Okay. DK Metcalf to me is the clear answer here. And the reason why, it's not going to concern me if he doesn't bust out and have a huge performance. But for DK Metcalf, is he making the plays that he's supposed to? And when he has an opportunity to make a play on the ball, what does that look like? Mm. Is he attacking the football? I don't care if it's necessarily complete or incomplete, but is he attacking the football? Is he being aggressive or is he trying to let things come to him? That's how I'm I'm going to be judging D.K. Metcalf come Thursday if he is healthy and ready to play, which I think he will be. So to me, that's going to be a key part of this, is how is that experiment con- continuing to develop with the chemistry of Russell Wilson, D.K. Metcalf, him fitting into this offense? What does that ultimately look like? Because I tell you what, Stacey, he has... Crushed the entire off season and has just continued to get better and better and better. And I hope that Thursday night we are walking away saying yes, he is progressing and continuing to do uh, follow that path.
1: I have what sounds like a really obvious question: if if a receiver is a bigger dude. Is, is it almost, like, not optional that you will always really push for and attack a ball? Like, what are what are different expectations you might have right. on a receiver who's a bigger guy? Well, like, maybe I'm not watching to see how quickly he can get off the line of scrimmage, but he mm-hmm. better beat out a jump ball.
2: Yeah, I, I believe that that's part of it, is, is how physical can you be? If you're not going to be – I mean, here's the thing. DK is one of the fastest guys that's on fast. the field. So you expect to get separation. Right. But is he using his body to uh, – is he using his body, one, to get separation? Two, is he using his body to shield defenders? And that's the part that you're looking at. And and so for me, it'll be fascinating to watch how he's able to do that versus someone else that's not in, that's wearing a Seahawk uniform, someone else that is lining up next to him that wants to take his lunch money and wants to be physical with him because everybody knows who DK Metcalf is. Everybody knows what the hype is. And I guarantee you those Denver Bronco DBs cannot wait to go up against
1: them. Question number three.
2: Number three.
1: Which non-Seahawks rookie is most intriguing to you this year?
2: That's a good question. I think there's a bunch of them that really stand out to me, but I think the obvious one in all of this is first-round pick Kyler Murray. You are just so fascinated to see how this experiment is going to go with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray and, and what this guy can ultimately be. I believe that he's a very talented football player. I think he has what it takes to be successful in this league. I do not know if he's in the right circumstance to be able to flourish. They're giving, they're putting him in an air raid system that he knows very well. He very little transition mentally from Oklahoma to Arizona because they are trying to basically take the Oklahoma offense and put it in the Arizona Cardinals which is fascinating it'll be really fascinating to see how this experiment goes and what the what the narrative is with Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals Cliff Kingsbury throughout this whole preseason
1: did you read the article that came out on Cliff Kingsbury through ESPN this weekend I didn't There's an article, and it was uh, it was basically like a deep dive examining him and kind of interviewing with his family and friends, and the entire thing was just basically painting it as like, look, he's not just a hot guy. (laughs) 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 Okay, just so you know, he turns off his phone at nine o'clock. Like this guy, yeah. It was it's interesting. I think if there's uh, there's a lot of pressure on him, and some ways it's fair. You're wondering, like, well, you're this young guy. You you weren't, a, like, crazy successful in college. Like, what are you bringing to it? In other ways, it's like, man, it, it does suck to be the person that's following up this trend of, like, Sean McVay lookalikes. And, and you know that you have a lot of doubters and people are thinking you're just – yeah. It's interesting. Check it out, ESPN.com. All right, I, I definitely
2: will. It will be fascinating because Cliff Kingsbury, like I've said multiple times, he's either going to change the way the NFL right. – looks at development and development for quarterbacks and the air raid system in general and implementing that more and more or this is going to be a complete flame out there's there's no in-between on this
1: i will be regularly watching their games i'm fascinated by it question number four
2: number four
1: hbo's hard knocks premieres tomorrow jake are you watching Yes. That's not my question. If you could see. I'm watching.
2: I can't wait. Oakland Raiders, Young, Rudin.
1: If you could see a hard knock season of any team in any year, so obviously this is imaginary, it could be like the 1984 or anything, which team would you choose and why?
2: I will never forget the hard knocks. I know that they seem like a
1: million years (laughs) away. Yeah.
2: I will never forget the hard knocks uh, with the Baltimore Ravens back in 2001, 2002. That was one of the best. Hard Knocks ever. Uh, Hilarious with Shannon Sharp, Ray Lewis, Tony Saragusa. I mean, that was one of those memorable ones that I will never forget. But if there was really any team that I would love to see on Hard Knocks and love for the rest of the NFL to see how one organization operates over the other, it would be the Seattle Seahawks. I would love for the NFL to see how Pete Carroll, John Schneider, this whole organization, the VMAC, what that looks like, the 12s. Yeah. I honestly think that uh, people would be so dived into and fascinated by Pete Carroll's approach and how fun they have every single day. I really do believe that that would be a fascinating one that will never happen. Because well, uh, on the
1: flip side, you have to not make the playoffs.
2: Exactly. It will never happen, but uh, I do believe that they would be a heck of a watch if they were ever to get on hard knocks.
1: That's four down territory. Throwing in an extra, extra question from the 808, shout out 808, being in Hawaii, wondering your thoughts on John Ursua.
2: Yeah, shout out to the 808. Thank you for the text. Uh, John Ursula has been doing great. I mean, he is a tremendous athlete. A guy that, uh, in all accounts, I think has done a great job progressing as a rookie. And this is what the preseason is for, is guys like John Ursua, who really have had the chance to pop and shine during during training camp. And to me, it's not because of his production. It's It's just a a crowded room. It is a crowded room, and it's a lack of targets that have come his way. And I think that John Ursua has done a great job putting on tape, great route running. Uh, he's a guy that everybody likes in that building, and he has to do he has to make a couple plays, not just catch uh, a few little passes over the middle and slant routes or whatever. He's got to make impactful plays down the field in order to get himself a chance to make this roster because we have found out that this is we thought it was a talented group. It was a young group, a talented. Yeah. No, 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 this is a this is a very, very good receiver group. And there are so many guys that are deserving of making this roster, but it's ultimately going to come down to who steps up when the ball is thrown their way.
1: P. Carroll said it after the mock game. I don't think it was just coach speak. He said it's going to be a really interesting receiver battle. One more thing, 808. Uh, more Dooley, producer for a John Clayton show. They have an interview with John Ursua that they were able to get today. I think that they are holding that for Thursday. So if you want to tune in, he's on 10 to 12, 710 ESPN. They're going to have an interview with John Ursua. Um, and if you don't check it on there, check it on 710sports.com, uh, John Clayton's podcast page. So just just friendly shout-out yeah. to, to our friends. We take, care of, we we take, take care, of care of you. We take care of our own. That's right. Well, he's not a receiver, but he is another rookie. It's rookie running back Travis Homer. We have an interview with him coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night.